travel is 24 seven, 365 days a year. It's the only industry except for being a doctor or a nurse where your guest spends the night and is there in the morning. So you got to be on your best behavior and you got to always reinforce those impressions, right? So if you get someone really, really pissed off at you the next day, they're still there. So that takes tremendous grit. And also just the, you got to be cut from a different thread. Like I, I, being on the tech side, that's our customer. Like they can't see outages. They can't see tech that doesn't work. They have a guest like standing in front of them in some cases, like, you have to accommodate that, that experience. And, and so like, you got to work hard to earn that trust of a hotel. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm excited. I've got Adam Harris, CEO of CloudBeds here today with us. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Steve, thanks so much for having me. Well, Adam, I know that you're a busy guy and you've been in this industry for a while now, but I want to get started with what was your first job in hospitality? Oh, you know, I, I don't have the traditional the traditional stories that I'm sure many of your other, your, your guests have, have talked about their experiences being like bartenders or, or doormen or bouncers or any of that stuff. But I got a funny one. So I, I worked for a, a real estate investor that bought and sold hotels. And cause I was the lowest man on the totem pole. They asked me to be GM of a property, uh, one, one very popular weekend in a market that I won't name just for mm-hmm. keeping the story small. Yep. But, Anyway, I never GM'd a hotel in my entire life, so God bless those who can do 24-7, 365 days a year of that role. You guys have grit, and I salute you. But uh, I got thrown into a very popular property that tended to have a lot of buyouts um, in a very popular travel destination for bachelor parties and bachelorette parties and you know some fun things. And yeah. anyway, I show up on property, and, and I'm getting some snickers from some of the other staff members but I'm not sure why. And I'm, I'm wearing a suit. And again, I'm trying to look the part. And I went up to go get my headset and I get in the elevator and the elevator door opens up and there's a, two naked people and, and a third. <laughs> and they're doing some things that I'm completely mortified and shocked by, as you can imagine. I'm like, what on 
earth are you doing? They're like, oh, we didn't know this was not allowed. I'm like, you're in the public space. And I like just let the door close. <laughs> and and I turn around and I'm looking around. I'm like, what on earth is going on? And long story short, no one had told me that I was the GM of the night that a swingers party had rented out the whole property. And that's how I learned of that moment. <laughs> and so quickly, uh, my GMing ended the ne next morning when I realized I was way out of my league in, in that role. But uh, it was quite the uh, adventure. Well, that's a that. good uh, first day. You know, it's funny because I have a similar story. We won't say the hotel, but we won't get into it. But I think it's like the rite of passage in some of these smaller I boutique so. hotels that people yeah. uh, rent out these hotels for that. Well, let's get back on, on your story. So you had your night there. You, you worked with this company for a while. What were you doing for them? So I was on the acquisition side. So just on the finance, helped, helped sort of evaluate different properties, how we could put our concepts in there. So I really loved, I, that was my sort of first foray. I, I did investment banking, so I was pretty good with numbers or at least analyzing numbers. And mm -hmm. you know, whether you're investing in a business or you're investing in real estate, similar, right? There, there's a similar sort of mindset there. But I, I fell in love with, with lodging during that time. But even prior, I was my, my dad's road buddy. So anytime he would travel around the world and, and go talk in many, many different places, to be honest with you, like, I think maybe 30 of the countries I visited were a result of trips and, and destinations that we took as a family many times often around his, his work. Um, I fell in love with the road. I, I really, really love this industry. And, and it's something where if we could be part of the tech that was the ground up um, foundation of making lodging professionals jobs easier so they can shift it towards a guest. Mm -hmm. um, being that traveler, I was like, this is a win-win. I can be part of my, my favorite experience in, in the world. And then I can also try to transform an industry forward. That's, that's what sort of originated in why Cloudbeds is here today, which, which has been fun. And I'm obviously happy to talk about what we do. Yeah. I would like to get into that. And I like learning about the how and the kind of that journey. So, you know, from that time that you left, uh, the Keating hotel group, you kind of were an entrepreneur, you'd had that mindset for a while. Can you talk about a little bit of that journey before we get to cloud beds? And um... yeah, so so the the working with the Keating Group, it, it was it was fun because I got to experience this new side of, of of an industry that I was not familiar with, and and really seeing the ins and outs of of hotel finance and operating brands. And then, you know, the 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 thing that really intrigued me was the different different tech stacks. And so when I left the Keating, it was due to actually, I, I got sick and, and I had to spend some time recovering. Oh, and wow. So during that time, I was in my formidable years and, and, and was sort of transitioning from, you know, what, what I thought of like working for someone else to working for myself. And I started consulting in the, in the time that I had when I, when I actually had energy to do that. And I found myself just fascinated with the startup world. And so I, I started volunteering at this incubator called connect in san diego i'm now on their executive board mm -hmm. uh, i was a entrepreneur in residence which is just a mentor um a short way of saying a mentor and and i saw all this great business coming out of this organization and then in in, in the market in san diego and i still had connections back to san francisco where i lived for many years and I was like, I, I want to do this. I, I don't know if I want to be on this side of the table or actually want to pull up, you know, tighten my shoelaces and, and go for that big climb, which is being mm -hmm. a startup founder. 
And along the way, I realized I wanted to do both. And so I started my own business. And, and through that, I learned how hard it was to be an industry, a titan of industry. I mean, it is, everything is against, against you in, in building a business. But I got to meet and work with some really, really cool people. And, and it was both sides of tech and then hospitality. And so we did work for the California Restaurant Association, the San Diego Restaurant Association, some really big names that were hotel groups and restaurant groups. We were building tech for them that was really transformational, actually like what we are doing now, but we were like building sort of the foundations then. This was like 15 years ago, like trying mm -hmm. to streamline the way uh, hotels were found online. And, and, and all of that kind of paved the way to this, Cloudbed story. And that's how I met my founder. My co-founder was through this incubator and through a relationship I had there. And it's a crazy story that you can read online, but I owe it to those years of, of like sort of paving the foundation of my desire to be a bootstrap company and to, you know, eventually raise venture capital and then private equity and then so on. Maybe we go public in the future, but it was amazing 15 years and 10 of that is cloud beds. And I, I couldn't be more proud. Of what we yeah. So how does that start? Cause you, you know, you had a company I saw that you sold that you exited. So that's yep. always a great success for someone in there. Was that your first company? It was my second company. My first company, hard to believe was a dog collar that had a retractable beer opener on it. It was called bark for beer. And it became a Christmas sensation when I was 21 years old. <laughs> a good gift as we're 21 year olds think about it. Well, could I make that's awesome. I like yeah. that. Yeah. And then you create, uh, your co-founder ticket socket, which again, yep. similar, you're kind of in that world of hospitality, you know, box yep. office, right? You sell that. And then how does it come about that you're going to create cloud beds as a co-founder? How does that come from this journey? You know, it was a bunch of different reasons. One travel experiences to fortuitous enough to meet my co-founder, um, who's one of my closest friends now. We saw this unique opportunity. He had a travel experience. I had a travel experience. We were presented this opportunity. The more we dug in, the more we liked it. Now, keep in mind, Steve, like the original idea for Cloudbeds is very, very far from where we are today. And well, give me the original. What was the first yeah, idea? You so, guys were sitting there having your beer brought to you by your dog. What was the, that's, that's the first right. thing? <laughs> that's right. Um, I actually did find one of those collars recently in a, in a little box. But, uh, you know, Rich had just come back from Brazil. And he was trying to book a hotel room in Brazil. And this is two years prior to the World Cup mm -hmm. and in the, in the Rio games. So imagine here's a foreigner trying to book a hotel in a beach community. And the only way to do that is to pick up the phone and call the hotel because there is no response to an email. There is no sort of booking.com or Expedia or Airbnb at this time to make and an, an form a reservation. And so... 30 calls later, someone speaking Portuguese or broken English goes, no, Rich, I've got a reservation for you. You need to go to the local bank Itau, in Sao Paulo and deposit this money in this account. And then as soon as I get it, I'll email you a confirmation that you have a room. That's how it was done. And, and we're, yeah, your eyes open. That, yeah. that was the way I reacted too. But then I had a similar experience in Vietnam and one of my best experiences in life too and so despite the sort of back and forth and friction, it ended up being an amazing experience, amazing hotel stay, amazing travel buddy, and, and, and so on. And, and so what, what we realized was the Rio Games and the FIFA World Cup was going to bring six, seven million people 
to mm -hmm. Brazil when on average 2 million visitors on a foreign basis comes to that country every year. They weren't set up to it. There was tons of inventory of hotel rooms, but they weren't digitalized. And so we thought, why not digitalize this? Why not make this place where you could go search for like hotels in Brazil and it would like show every property and you could filter down and almost like Expedia, booking.com, Airbnb. We called it more of like a meta search, meaning we weren't going to be the originator. We were just going to be the, the, the first look and glance and the consumer would be able to help sort of curate what they were looking for. And then it would bounce off to the place that would do the e-commerce. Lo and behold, what we realized was none of these hotels had any of the digital tools that most hotels have today mm -hmm. to actually give us that inventory saying, yes, I have rooms or no, I don't. And right. this is the price or no. Um, and, and so we built that. We started building like the back office stuff first to then initially make the consumer side. And we never got to the consumer side. So the original idea that we had raised money on never actually happened because we got so busy on the SaaS side of their back office. Um, and then, you know, 10 years later, we've now completed the entire journey. So, you know, guests are booking through us, guests are checking in through us, guests are leaving feedback through our properties and our technology. And, and that's been super fun to see the full circle. But at the time it was just trying to solve a, a travel need that we had, we had experienced ourselves. So that's cool. So as people are coming up, right, you're, you see the need, you start building the back office. You know, so it's sometimes a tough decision because you have an original idea. Was it hard for you to think of, all right, we're going to pivot away from that. And you had some investors, I'm sure, at the time, and we're going to start building this. Or was it like, no, it's clear. People need it. We're going to do more of this. It was clear. Yeah, it was, it, you know, obviously, you, you don't want to chalk failures up as, as part of your milestones. But we celebrated them early on. I, I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this until recently. But the definition of a founder is to sink and fail. <laughs> Like that's a formal definition. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, let's, let's like learn from that. Yeah. And, and that's the reality. I think founders get too caught up on like trying to hit the, the good in mm -hmm. their journey. Like these big milestones going public is a one or raising money is another, but we lose sight that you have to have a lot of learnings along the way to do that. And it's not all good. So, you know, Rich and I looked at, wow, there's this opportunity to build this business you know, travel, at least in the lodging industry, does not have this democratization of software flow, meaning it doesn't fall down. It, it mm -hmm. typically just goes up, meaning the biggest and the best um, brands have the best technology reserved for themselves. And there was this huge gap between franchises or Marriott's, Accor's, IHD's, Hilton's of the world, and then the lowly, you know, independent hotel operator. And let's be clear, they are like the biggest number of properties in the world. It's not the Marriott's of the world, it's the little guys. And right. the little guys are where most people want to stay these days. They're looking for that experience. They're looking for the, the yurt hut in the desert that's a, like glamping, or they're looking for the yep. eco-lodging property that's ESG friendly in Costa Rican's rainforest. They're not interested in a you know, 15 by 10 box that looks the same in every city that they go to. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be really fun to sort of see how we evolve as a lodging industry and how rooms change shapes and concepts shift over time. But nevertheless, we, um, we wanted to build it for the masses. We saw the biggest need was the small independent operators. They made the most um, sense for us because it would be very, very long sales cycles to go convince Marriott to uh, ditch the system they've been using for 25 years. Right. Um, which they should, um, by the way, but that's a different conversation. It would take more than an hour. 
But at the end of the day, we knew that if we could give a fighting chance to where most consumers will stay in the next decade, we had something. And if we could do more in the value chain for these properties, we really had a fighting chance to give our hotels a competitive edge against the brands that control technology. And, And so we had this saying early on in our adventure that we wanted a seat at the table and we needed that seat. And once we had that seat, we could then begin to pound our fist saying, no, 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 the industry needs to go that way, not this way. And we have that seat now. And it's kind of fun to, to see how we're shifting. The, yeah, so the I want to talk about how you started building that seat. So you and your partner have this idea. Are you yep. a coder? Are you guys in tech? Like, do you know how to put this together? Or did you start saying, hey, we're going to start hiring people? How did you start building it? Yeah. So I break things if I write code. Um, Rich Rich writes code. Um, he wrote the first line of code. I think it's still in existence. It's got a codified in, in the stack. Um, I did all the user experience. So he might've have, he might have written some of the code and I would have done some of the design early on. We surrounded ourselves with people who knew what they were doing, right? Like we, we had product people, we had engineering people. Um, to be honest with you, many of our original engineers are still with us and, and they actually are, are in, in Ukraine and Brazil. Um, wow. two places that we hired early on. Yeah. And, and along the way, we, we started hiring hospitality experts because mm-hmm. none of us were at, right. at the beginning. That's what I was going to ask next. Yeah. Yep. And they brought in their ideas. You know, Rafa, who's our VP or SVP of sales now, has so much experience in, in, in lodging. And some of our early coaches had tons of experience in being front desk operators or back office operators or, or whatnot. And it was sort of amalgamation of all these, you know, experiences that came to table. And we had this belief system that if you're going to reinvent a spark plug, you don't just put 10 spark plug engineers in a room. You're just going to get a spark plug. Like it might have a little bit different shade of color, mm-hmm. but what you should do is put one spark plug engineer and then a bunch of different engineers from a bunch of different walks of life. That's how you're going to get innovation. So the fact that we were outsiders meant we didn't have blinders on. We actually could come in and understand that there was form and function, but then we could reevaluate how form and function needed to happen inside a property. So for us, like there are 36 different touch points across three devices in 34 days to book a hotel room today. That's the, that's the normal. That's crazy, right, Steve? That's like, crazy. Even, yeah, I didn't realize even, that step. Even in 20, you know, like 2022, like 34 days to book a hotel room across three devices. That's insane, in my opinion. But 36 different interactions, that was what we thought was broken. And so we wanted to take steps away from the front desk team. We wanted them not to be bounding keys. Like, I don't know why hotels have queues anymore. I should be able to go straight to my room. And for the very first time staying in a Marriott property, I was able to do that. Um, very first time this last week. It was, it was really a, a, breath, a breath of fresh air. <laughs> You're like, whoa, um, what happened here? This is weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was kind of like shocked that I didn't have to go to the front desk. Now, what I think is COVID became this shift. COVID really accelerated the sort of need to adopt um, digital technology. I was a little disappointed that plexiglass was the contactless experience for a while there. That yep, was how I was, we... I stood behind a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, look, it takes time. There's, there's decades of infrastructure that needs to be modernized to ultimately bring us to where the consumer really wants us to get to, but we're starting to chip away. So anyway, long story short, you know, we surrounded ourselves with people who were, were visionaries who, 
had been behind Micros um, and Opera uh, and had used them extensively and, and just thought, good Lord, these things are crazy old and crazy complicated, even if it's their cloud enabled version. You know, we are, we are an industry of antiquated tech. Um, we are an industry that daisy chains 15 different systems together to accomplish something as simple as a person coming in and leaving um, a, a hotel room. And, and, and if, you, if you look at all that complexity, it's really just a matter of decades and decades of lack of technology investments in, in our industry, unfortunately. And, yep. and so companies like CloudBits are trying to make that more affordable so that the transition away some of these um, incumbent or even sort of legacy modeled tech stacks can become more like a simple single username and password. And that unlocks, you know, future in, in gains for your property. So, you know, you've talked about a couple of things here and I want to bring it back to, you know, not the beginning, but you started adding properties. Like you mentioned, like you're going after yep. some of the mom and pop places because it's easier for them to transition. But it's a bigger deal to get a big hotel to leave that opera or their antiquated, you know, systems that they've been using for 25 years, 30 years, because that's what yep. they're used to. So do you remember the first one that you were like, wow, we got this one. We made it happen on this big one. Like this is the one. So I'm trying to think of like that moment. I remember when we got like our first sort of bigger contract mm -hmm. and we celebrated it. And, and, and the reality is it was a milestone in the sense that we had bitten off for that hotel, their biggest pain points but there was more opportunity to go further in the sort of value chain. Um, it was a property in Brazil, and then it was subsequently a property group in Thailand. They left Oracle uh, or Opera in, in all cases. And, and, and I, remember, I remember the owner talking to me about how it was like open heart surgery to make this decision. Right. right? That, that was scary. how they described it. But then afterwards, you know, he and she said, man, it, it took like, two days to train our entire staff and normally would have taken six weeks to do just that. It Can you give the listener a breakdown, like, you know, for someone who's not in the industry, maybe like a, a fifth grade level breakdown of why it would be like that. Why is it so scary? Oh my God. Um, imagine windows 95 versus windows, whatever we're on or Mac OS today, <laughs> right? Like that's the comparison between the system. It's just a user experience is like, you hit a button and then it goes to a next window and then you hit another button and you keep going. So like to check someone in and in one of those platforms takes like seven minutes. I mean, don't hold me to that number, but it hyperbolically, it takes forever. That's why yeah. when you sit in front of a queue checking into a hotel and people are banging away at keyboards, like there's a reason just, just look in the reflection of their eyeglasses. You'll, you'll understand why, <laughs> you know, we saw that as just completely broken. Like there didn't need to be all those steps. Like the system could do it for them in a lot of ways. And that's, and that's really what we focused on. Our, our, our sort of pillars around how we built the technology was keep it simple, stupid, right? Mm -hmm. Training needed to be less than five, five, five hours, ideally. And we needed to make this universal, meaning it didn't matter what language you spoke. You could be able to look at the user experience and understand how to operate it. Because even though English is sort of the, you know, the language of standard in the world, because it's becoming dominant, you know, you have this sort of local hospitality experiences in Thailand and in, 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 in Europe and, and so on, where it's just a different language spoken. So we needed to make sure that we were as global as possible along the way. And, you know, keep in mind, like travel is, is, is plagued by a couple of things. One is 
you know, the U.S. I'm just going to pick on the U.S. because we both are here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Immigration actually solves a lot of our, our labor shortages right now. So like if we actually relaxed immigration and it doesn't matter what side of the coin you're on, if, if we need to fill jobs because that makes our lives easier as, as a population, there's a population that would come here and work, you know, hotel jobs right now. So 350,000 jobs in U.S. hotels alone are, are not being filled. That's why restaurants are not open. On properties, that's why they're not changing sheets and bath towels as frequently, because mm-hmm. there's just no staff. I mean, even baggage handlers at airports, they're losing your bags because they don't have enough people to do it right now. So travel is painful. And if we can sort of free up labor and get them back into hotels, that's, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for that, because I think that will make all of our travel experiences better. But even before we had labor shortages, the average hotel saw 50% turnover of staff every year. 50%. That's insane. That means you're constantly training people into your ecosystem. And if you think about this, the tech stacks that I was kind of poking fun at before, I mean, imagine if you're like just learning a step of checking in, it takes seven minutes. Like there's a lot of institutional training there that has to go into. And then there's SOPs of hotels. Did you ask yeah. for their name? Like, did you look up their loyalty? I mean, so you add all those things into the mixture. No wonder it takes six weeks to train them. You know, we can do it in less than five hours right now. We have a whole university that's self-service. Like we truly have digitalized micro learning. And that's why it's so easy for us to onboard properties because we take that huge pain uh, away. So the other thing, Steve, is, you know, the average hotel has 14 stacks, 14 different tools to run their business. Imagine then having to go learn a bunch of different systems depending on your function of your job. Again, that seems crazy to us. And so we've shrunk that down into one. And it makes it a lot easier. And a lot of the steps that are duplicated across all those stacks are no longer needed. It, it's just you do it one place and it happens behind the scenes and all those other ones. So it, it, it's been really fun to hear how far we've come, but also the same experiences that hotels, when we first moved them off some of those incumbent systems 10 years ago or seven years ago when we commercialized to today are the same reactions that we're having today. It, it, even though we've transitioned seven years, it's the same feeling like, oh my God, thank God. Like, I don't know how I even lived like mm-hmm. that. So thank you, Kavitz, for being who you are. I'm going to take a, a little bit different track here than I normally do. So you have all these companies that I've worked in, like the Mandarin Orientals and the Lowe's and all these places that are still using Micros and Oracle stuff. Why, why can't they not change? What do you think that's all about? Ooh. Finally, we have time. A couple reasons. One is, wow, my voice really went high there. Um, <laughs> so hospitality schools still train on these incumbent systems, right? Um, that's changing. So CloudBits has a Horizon program, which we're really excited about. We're giving our software away to hotel schools. Uh, did you go to hotels? I think you went to you yep, got a master's. I went, I went to Florida State University. So I went there and then I got some training in Cornell as well. There you go. So two of the best schools in, in the country for hospitality, both of them still train on Oracle um, and, and Opera. EHL, number one university in, in Europe, uh, now trans cloud bets, right? And, and so Horizon is us giving away our software to these universities and say, hey, you have your hotel that your students operate for, for practice or you're doing, you know, in-class sort of uh, simulation to learn how these applications. We want to begin to ensure that the next generation of, of uh, master's programs or even undergraduate programs in hospitality are learning that there's other solutions out there. And, th- and for two, twofold, one is we'd love to hire those 
individuals too. So just because you're a tech company doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to pull from the greater hospitality pool. Like Steve, you'd be a great candidate to come join our company because we look for that rich experience at all those other brands. There's also the route. You don't have to just go for work for a hotel. You can go work for a tech company and still be part of this amazing industry. So that's, that's concept number one is we need, to, we need to make sure that we're training the future and training what systems are, are, are coming um, up. And right. CloudBads is a great example. The second is, you know, a lot of times franchisees are, are given choices. And then oftentimes they're not. And in most cases, it's more of the not than the former. And as a result of that, they might say that these are the systems that have integrated into it. There's no reason why um, a Mandarin Oriental or Lowe's or any of those brands couldn't adopt technology like CloudBeds in the future. We are not targeting them. That's not our, our, our bread and butter right now. We would mm -hmm. love to have conversations with any of them. But right now we're having great conversations with groups like the Viceroy Bali, for example, or Chains and Viceroy too, yeah. Viceroy is great. Yeah. yeah. And so like if you go to the Viceroy Bali, for example, it's a beautiful property, very, very high luxury in the in the rice paddies in, in, in northern Bali. And like it's just spectacular, right? I mean spectacular property. And they're running on cloudbeds and they're doing it just fine and they're actually seeing tremendous amount of growth in, in, in their profitability as a result of just streamlining tech. We have so many little examples of there. I can't even like get into like we could we could just take a tour of the world. And, and that to me is, is special because I know I can always come back to those bigger brands and help them try mm -hmm. to digitalize their experience. I mean, loyalty is very important to big brands. Like Bonvoy is incredibly valuable as, as an asset and Hilton Honors and, and, and so on. And so like if you look at some of the needs that these bigger brands want to own and control, they're never going to give up that guest experience side of it, which I get because that's their relationship with their, with their traveler. But, you know, as we do more and more for our hotel owners, we will sort of transition ourselves into the value chain, which will make the guest experience better. And so over time, really what we're trying to do is not disrupt the hotel landscape of, of tech. What we're trying to do is streamline it for the guest because that's, that's your livelihood. You need the guests to be happy. You need them to pay you more. Like we have an issue in our industry that has not changed in 20 years. We have RevPAR growing at a rate that was incredible and then COVID hit. And now it's kind of caught back up. But the gross operating profit is widening, right? So meaning mm -hmm. we're seeing this issue of profitability in hotels. Things just cost more money to run. That should be shrinking, not growing. Tech should be shrinking it. And right. so when we see properties leverage our technology, we see a shrinking go part, like in a, in a positive way. And so not only are they maximizing the rev part, but they're starting to look at it from like a trev part perspective. Like the total revenue per available square footage is something you can get down to and truly understand. And look, there's, there's $50 trillion, $50 trillion that is ready to be spent by the largest population of travelers, that's millennials and boomers, by, by 2030, right? $50 trillion needs to get yeah. spent. <laughs> a billion people will stay in a hotel for the first time by, 2020, or by 2030, right? Like, that is such a huge number. And if we are still checking people in queues, that's not a great first impression. And so, like, our team is trying to do whatever we can to make this frictionless experiences so that guests want to go out there and do it again and again and again. And our industry continues to grow. And we will be right back.
I have personally used Treyaway at the Eden Rock Hotel and Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. Treyaway has finally solved the age-old problem of dirty room service trays cluttering the hotel hallways. It is affordable and easy to use. Guests and staff love it. They will even send you a free product kit so you can try it before you buy it. Use promo code TURK10 for a 10% discount on all Treyway products and services. And now, back to the show. So you, you dabble in both worlds like I do. So I'm actually a, a 50% partner in a vacation rental company here cool. in South Florida. And we have 48 properties under management now. Tangy awesome. Management, Tangy Management, shout out. So what I've seen, because I've been in both worlds, is that in that world, technology seems to be getting better quicker. Yep. And you can test it out much easier. And guests are now traveling more that way. So they're getting used to that experience. So like you said, I don't have to wait in line. I nope. can text the host if I need something. You know, there's things on property that save on cost. We can make sure everyone's safe. What do you think that hotels can learn from the vacation rental world? I think it's amazing what we've seen in, in the vacation rental. So I'm sure you know this better than I do, given, given your experience there. But, you know, pre-COVID, 25% of the U.S. population and European population would search for an Airbnb or a VRBO, right? Just mm -hmm. the short-term rental in general. Fast forward to now, 75% of the population will now look at that as an alternative to lodging, traditional lodging. I love that. So what you're going to see is Google search results is now going to show unified lodging. You're going to see both sides of, of that equation, which is just music to my ears. That is the future development. That is where all money should be poured. It's this hybrid concept between both. Give flexibility. We don't want those boxes. We want flexibility. Um, the number one thing that consumers want in our world is customization. And yes. customization comes in all forms. It's not like N plus one customization, meaning like the individual one. It is, there are archetypes of Steve's, right? There's lots of Steve's out there that are similar that just want an experience and there's lots of atoms in the world. And then there's mm -hmm. lots of, so, and like, if we look at those archetypes, we can develop experiences, brands, concepts, short-term rental groups, all of the above to accommodate that hotels are governed by city taxes and hospitality taxes and jurisdictional stuff and ANSI standards to door locks and like local reg regulations and things like that. Smart locks and the vacation rentals weren't. Right. And so like there's this sort of professionalization that we're starting to see in short term rentals. And I, I know the I know there's a lot of people voicing that, you know, Steve Milo, for example, is very vocal in, in the world. Yeah, I just um, met him this past and, week. Yep. Yeah. And he's and he's a great human being. And you have the guesty team and you have the inhabit queue team and you have all these groups out there that are advocating that we need jurisdictional control over short-term rentals. No one, you should get a license. You should operate under a license and you should pay your taxes and do all the same things that hotels want do and, and yep. need, but we need to put the guest safety as priority. Number one, that doesn't mean you should remove supply from a market. I'm not an advocate of that. I think you should be able to open and operate a property management company if you see fit. And I don't think you should have to fight to get a license, but nevertheless, there's controls there, but yep. those controls are really bringing a professionalization and experience. Hotels have been reluctant because they have a door lock issue, right? They don't have one door lock. You got to change. They have like 350 and they're like $299. So like mm -hmm. that's a huge capital outlay just to provide a digital check-in. And so over time, if you take the, you know, two and a half million keys 
that Marriott eventually is going to have to digitalize. I mean, that's a bi- like nearly a billion dollars. I know it's not a billion dollars, but like the retraining of their staff on how to use them, like the maintenance around that, like all the costs will be billions of dollars in opportunity. And so is there ways to sort of get to the middle ground sooner? Yeah, maybe it's a kiosk that you can go and scan your, your ID and it spits out your key instead of having to be in a queue. I don't know, but like, I think we'll get there. But, but obviously the short-term rentals, we're paving the way and, and creating great experiences for the guests. Um, let's be clear, they're broken too. Sometimes yep. it doesn't always work. And mm-hmm. once you get this experience where I can just go straight to the property and then you have to go check in with someone because there's a local law that requires it, it creates a little bit of um, satisfaction issue because it's not standard, but we'll get through all that noise. And, and that's why short-term rentals have become 14% of a lodging market. It's And it's growing and it will grow 18% this year and probably another 18% next year. And it will just keep getting bigger and bigger. And, and that's really exciting. No, I'm excited about it. And I can't wait till... I got back into it because I, I won't say the company, but I stayed with one that was supposed to be very good. And we paid a ton of money to be there and it went awful. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, right. And I wish it was like a Lowe's or a Four Seasons or Mandarin Oriental vacation rental that I knew I could depend on. So I think that trust part is something that needs to be worked on. Is there anything that CloudBeds helps to help with trust and getting people trustworthy? If not, what do you think could be done? I was chatting with the founders of Evolve which is mm-hmm. a huge, you know, yep. property management company and, and, and one of the best in the industry over last week. And, you know, we were, we were talking about just placements in Evolve's brand is, is being developed. Red Awning's brand was being developed. Um, Saunders' brand is being developed. If you ask, you know, 10 consumers, do you know who Saunders, Evolve, Red Awning, or any of the other ones? They'd probably say, no, I, I don't. But right. they'd know Marriott. They'd know IHG, at least they would, you'd hope they would. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have a brand recognition issue there. Google just says it's a two bedroom short-term rental. It doesn't really say who. And most so people on, are saying, I just want to get an Airbnb in Miami correct. beach. Yeah. And, and that's why it's become a noun and a verb. Right. right. And, and so. Which, which I, the industry hates, but it's which, like, you know, what are you going to do? But at the same time, like Airbnb has spent billions of dollars building their brand and, right. and, and that's why they're there. Just like booking.com. I go to booking.com to rent my hotel room. Well, they spent billions of dollars to sort of create that awareness. I think we need to furnish up like who you are staying with. This is a professional management company, right? Not a review on a property, like a review on the management company and the property. Because right. location obviously matters, amenity obviously matters, same thing with a hotel. But like you, you should be able to understand that you're staying with the company and you're staying at a location and those two get factored into the next guest um, that is staying. Steve, you probably might have dodged a bullet with a group that was high luxury and you paid a lot of money if you understood that, yeah, maybe the location was amazing, but the management company and all the right. things that their promises uh, we're, we're left you a little bit um, unhappy about. So, you know, hotels have the same dy- dynamic. You will see lots of hotel options and you have to sort of, what's a two-star, what's a five-star, what's a three-star? You know, I, I think the more transparency we can bring to this industry, the better. And, and the more times that we can sort of create understanding of what you're really getting to the consumer, the better. 
Um, but we need to standardize experience as much as possible. And that's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster until short-term rentals are at par with hotels and treated equally. And, and we're all trying to do our best there. Are you starting to see it mesh anywhere in your business? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have, we have property groups that own boutique hotels and then we'll have some camps, cabins or campgrounds cool. around. And, and so you get this sort of combination of both. And I, I, to be honest with you, I love those brands. Yeah, I think it's very cool. It's funny. The call before I had this was a term I hadn't heard, but I love it now called outdoor hospitality, right? It's like cool. a glamping company. And I was like, wow, that's a whole new yeah. world. And it would be awesome. Like I haven't been, but if I could depend on someone that was like a hotel I knew about to make sure I had a good time, I would try it out. So it's, I'm happy to hear that you're seeing that For happening sure. more and more. I was going to say, so what are you seeing now that's exciting you the most in hospitality? Because you, you get to see such a wide swath of different companies. What are you seeing now? That you're like, wow, that's very cool. I love seeing this. So, you know, I, I obviously love some of the brands that you, you, you've, you've had the privilege of working at. And, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, even though I spent majority of my time with the stomach flu on my honeymoon at the St. Regis, <laughs> uh, while my wife got to experience it, I became very good friends with a chameleon inside my, my bathroom because I was so sick on my, so sick. but there was a little lizard that was like living at the top. <laughs> where was it? My, where was it? Uh, Punta Mita, St. Regis Punta Mita. Now okay. WhatsApping my, my concierge to bring me soup and crackers was my, my highlight of my, my trip. But there's no reason why that ex same experience can't be brought down to every hotel in the world. Like I, I shouldn't have to touch the phone or touch the clicker mm -hmm. in, in a hotel room. It's just gross to be honest with you. Yep. And, and I'd rather just be able to use my devices to interact with the property. So the whole guest journey should be really better, better optimized for, you know, mobile for my device, my experience. And that's really just following the fact that, you know, the average graduating senior from high school this past year had an iPhone their entire life, basically, right? So that device is like a little supercomputer and in, in, in the interactions, like if I want to listen to music, I can click Spotify and boom, that's the song that I, I choose in real time, Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO mm -hmm. Max, all those things are digitalizing on demand. Even the way we... we I love how we've like revolutionized like delivery of food. I mean, we've always had delivery of food my entire life. Like it just wasn't yep. through an app. It may, my it actually was probably cheaper back then because there wasn't all these intermediary fees that were being packed on. But look, I think we're just creating better use cases for consumers to interact with brands. So I'm very excited about that. I'm also starting to see um, the definition of luxury shift. Luxury means experiences just as much as it means like you know thousand thread count um sheets and then you know like a bungalow over the ocean or, or what whatnot in fact like majority of of consumers are not that one percent that are staying at these properties even those who are staying at saint regis four seasons and lows are not the one percent they're actually people who have saved up and are spending for a great experience mm -hmm. so understanding that budget travel is probably more important than luxury travel as a total consumption spend. We can do better in that category. And there's a lot of really cool brands like Stable is one of CloudBet's customers. They're doing like longer term stay and the properties are spectacular all through South Florida and, and growing rapidly. And they're seeing great profit because it's the convenience of like digitaliza digitalization where they're like, you check in, 
through a phone and you walk to your room and you can like expand and you can get amenities you can get groceries in your room and do all the conveniences of like high touch but there's no one on site it, it's like fully operationalized due to tech it's mm-hmm. a beautiful concept and so like you're going to see more groups like that sort of solving the budget travel which is again the the most popular in terms of number of heads in beds in, in the course of the year. I'm really excited about that. And then the third thing is I'm really excited about ESG. Just like, look, we have climate change. If, if you're not on that, that side of the coin that believes it, I, I don't know how to, to help you. But like climate's a real big issue here in the world. Like we are leaving a generation, a planet that will be warmer. So the more we can look at carbon footprint as a industry it doesn't mean we change travel like we just conform to like real problems like i'm not a king at my home my wife does not change the sheets nor do i change the sheets every single night i don't wash my towels every single night mm-hmm. my wife and i joke about that we're lucky if we do it every week right like in in the reality we're not dirty people either so <laughs> like the changing experiences inside a hotel should be for the better. Like I, I'd love to see cartons of water, not bottles of water, right? Even if it's recycled, I'd love to see, you know, new ways of like saving water for like the overall property, like just being mindful of like the vegetation that's planted around a hotel, the sheets, how they're made, maybe they're bamboo, which is a very fast growing material and they're softer than, you know, other forms of cotton. Like we can just be better as an industry so that we can leave our, our, our planet um, to a generation in, in better than, than when, when we got it. And so ESG is so early. There's some really cool companies doing some really exciting things there. And I just think we all can do our parts. Oh, I love it. I love that part too. We just had uh, David Aria. He's a GM of Six Senses Ibiza. He gave us the whole rundown on the podcast of what they're doing on their property. And you can't even work with the property as a vendor, if you don't have some kind of sustainable practice. I love it. I love it. That's um, amazing. So That's it's great. interesting to see what's going on, but I'm on that with you. I'm in the heart of Miami. As I look out my office window here, I'm on the bay, which floods now more the, more often than not. So I do, I'm excited about that. And so let's get back to cloud beds now. Okay. We've kind of got the whole story of how you started, how you were growing. Um, but where do you see things going now in the next Oh, I would say five years. I hate that. But the next year or two, like what is on the horizon for you all? Oh, a lot. You know, we're obviously in a, a very interesting macroeconomic landscape. So super mindful that the world is changing due to inflation because of war, because of COVID. And, and that's going to be challenging for some parts of the world when it comes to travel. I personally am on the sort of bullish side of, of the coin where I, I think we're counter cyclical. I think we're going to see pent up demand. I hate the term revenge travel, um, but like, I just think revenge travel is going to continue in, in new forms. Like Asian markets are really complicated. You saw Congress and China, you know, continuate their, their locked in policy around COVID, you know, Z China taking a third term. I think that gets relaxed. There's 300 million Chinese that want to go out and travel right now. They've been locked down for two years. Mm-hmm. That's a huge amount of money that will pour into Europe, U.S., and in other parts of the world, which is really, really good. We need that. Um, that will actually counterbalance the, the, the lack of demand um, from business travel in most parts of the world, and that will get us to 2019 levels across the globe. So that's super exciting. I think that happens in Q1 of next year. I think Europe is going to have a little bit of up and down 
you know, the average EU citizen will see $5,000 more in utility costs next year. Uh, that's that's a that's a that's tremendous big. amount of money. But in the flip side, that might mean that instead of like staying home, they might go travel, right? So instead of keeping their house warm, they might go to warmth, right? They might actually take a vacation. So we actually are are wondering if there's travel patterns that might come a result of you know all these rising utility costs. You know, Putin needs to stop being an asshole as soon as possible. I don't know if I can say that live. You can, like, whatever he you re- like. He really does. I mean, we need to get that war over and be done with it because it's just causing some tremendous amount of pressures that are, are, are not normal. And I think both feds, European and U.S. and even others are trying to, like, counterbalance that. And we're starting to see some, eh, eh. Some stuff that might be painful um, mm-hmm. for a while. I mean, my my favorite Thai restaurants up a hundred percent year over year in, in costs, and that's that's not sustainable. But you have the largest population of consumers, meaning that consumer spending power has time. Boomers they want to go out and travel. They want to put their feet in sand. So there is there is still this wealth that's on the sideline that can go out there and travel and. And they're not worried about a $14 sandwich as much as because it's not going to affect their retirement. They're already retired. So what they're really, really worried about is the ease of traveling. So like there's still complications. We talked about baggage handlers and lack of supply of labor in in hotels. So that will still plague us for a little bit of 2023. Mm -hmm. And then I think it sorts itself out. And then 2024 hits and we're probably back to 2019 levels. We're probably seeing technology adoption across the next two years. CloudBits is going to be front and center. So you're going to see a lot of really cool things that are us going deeper in the value chain for our hotel operators. Just saying, no, you don't have to do that anymore. Like we can help you find another body to go into a bed. We can help you communicate with your guests early so that you can get a little bit more money from an early check-in or a late checkout, or you can sell an experience that you do around your property more efficiently. That's kind of where our head's at. It's like, let's look at the guests and look at how they're traveling. Let's look at how they're changing and their behaviors. And let's try to position the hotel in those same points and, and do it in a frictionless way so that like your properties, I'm sure when they when when guests check into your your short term rentals, it's frictionless. Like let's let's try to bring that to our huge number of beds around the world and do that with as ease as possible along the way. And and so internally, we're focused on a, a booming business that's in a in a new place. We have 800 employees in 41 countries that we're we're looking to surround with more employees. So we're hiring like mad. We've got great investors behind the business that are super bullish on on where we're going. And so we're going to take a cautious optimism each quarter and and just kind of keep doing what we're doing. I love to hear all about the ultra success. You know, I've been watching from afar for a couple of years. So when the team reached out to to talk with you, I was excited. And, you know, I have one one last question because you've given me a lot of time here today. So if if young Adam Harris was joining your team today, what advice would you give him? starting in this world of hospitality tech? Oh, man. Well, I, I would remind him that travel is 24-7, 365 days a year. It's the only industry, except for being a doctor or a nurse, where your guest spends the night and is there in the morning. So you got to be on your best behavior, and you got to always reinforce those impressions, right? So if you get someone really, really pissed off at you, the next day they're still there. So that takes tremendous grit and also just the 
you got to be cut from a different thread. Like I, I, being on the tech side, that's our customer. Like they can't see outages. They can't see tech that doesn't work. They have a guest like standing in front of them in some cases, like you have to accommodate that, that experience. And, and so like you got to work hard to earn that trust of a hotel. Um, it's their livelihood in many cases. And, and so we work our asses off here at CloudBets and, and we've never left that. We, we call bleeding blue. We bleed blue for this business. And, and more importantly, we bleed blue for our customer. And, and we have a saying where, you know, Rich and I are creating environments for others to be successful at. We put our people first. And, and the reason we put our people first is we want them to show up every single day knowing that they can make a difference in our customers' lives. And when our customers' lives are easier, performing better, whatever, that's going to take care of our business. And so young Adam better look, look out for our customer and, and know that, that they're the most important thing to our organization outside of our people who are building that tech for them. I love that. It's great advice for anybody, almost in any industry. Look out for, for those people that you're working for. Yep. Well, Adam, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. You gave a lot of great knowledge. And I know the listeners are going to get a lot of good info from it. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.